All right, everybody, welcome back uh, to This Week in Privacy, our short little show where we uh, just talk about what we're working on at Privacy Guides and all the stuff that's going on in the news um, in the privacy and security space lately. Uh, this is episode four. Um, I'm your host, Jonah, as usual, and I'm just going to get right into our top story. Um, not much in terms of updates from the team this week. Something that we are talking about right now and looking for some feedback on is how um, Fediverse applications and social media play into uh, your privacy setup and recommendations. Like, uh, are these platforms an improvement over the existing alternatives run by big tech companies like Twitter and Facebook? Or is public social networking kind of too much of a danger to privacy in any context? And we should try to avoid that kind of recommendation wherever possible in favor of um, less social things. Um, We've, we've gotten a lot of mixed feedback on that topic in the past, so uh, just leaving this update out here, if you have any opinions on um, using Fediverse platforms like Mastodon and how that fits into your privacy uh, conscious workflow and that kind of thing, we would love it if you would leave some, uh, some of your comments or feedback or opinions on our forum and let us know what you think. Um, otherwise, it's been a pretty slow week, so we'll just move into general privacy news. Um, our first story here is film studios are demanding that Reddit unmask users who participated in piracy-related forms. Um, so these studios are asking um, Reddit for um, basically information about uh, like IP address log information for six different Reddit users who talked about piracy on Reddit in some piracy-related forms in the past. Um, Reddit responded to... Those, that's the <laughs> Reddit responded to the studios with a letter on January 2nd stating that the subpoena doesn't satisfy the First Amendment standard for disclosure of identifying information regarding anonymous speakers like Reddit users. Um, and another reason that Reddit isn't re complying right now is that none of the posts um, depicted in the exhibits that the studios presented appear to relate to movies that were um, the subject of the copyright infringement claims. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of reasons why Reddit is standing their ground on this, and they've actually won two separate uh, similar cases in the past, but the studios are still going after privacy and are <laughs> still going after privacy-focused users on Reddit and trying to get Reddit to uncover that information based on what they post on the platform. Um, in more similar lawsuit news, um, the U.S. Supreme Court has decided to not take on Elon Musk's case. Apparently he was um, asking them to consider whether X, formerly Twitter, can publicly disclose how often federal law enforcement seeks information about users. Um, but the Supreme Court justices declined to hear X's appeal of a lower court ruling, holding that the FBI's restrictions on what the company can say publicly about the investigations did not violate its free speech rights under the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment. Um, X's lawyers say that history demonstrates that the surveillance of electronic communications is both a fertile ground for government abuse and a lightning rod political topic of intense concern to the public, um, which is definitely a true statement, I would say. Um, it's, it's crazy that like these gag orders are allowed to exist in, in the form that they are right now, where they can basically go on indefinitely without any kind of recourse from uh, the company, in this case, Twitter. So. It's good that Twitter was fighting back on this, but it's um, unfortunate that, at least for now, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court is not going to be 
hearing their case on that. So it seems like whatever gag order they might have in place right now will stand for now. Um, let's see. Our next story here, uh, China claims that it cracked airdrop encryption and it can identify the sources of messages that are sent. Um, basically, a, govern a government-backed firm in China claimed that it cracked Apple's encrypted airdrop feature, allowing police to access the phone numbers and emails of those using it to share undesirable content. Um, airdrop has been something that the Chinese government has been fighting against all for a while now in the past, and... Um, Apple has actually cooperated with them on a lot of cases um, and as far as like limiting how airdrop can be used at their behest but it seems like China is still going after um, trying to break this encryption on their own so they can really target anybody using airdrop so uh, it's kind of crazy and this could definitely spread outside of China to um, any other government who's interested in this kind of thing so uh, I haven't seen a response or anything from Apple on this topic yet, but that would be interesting to look into um, and see if they do respond to that or fix this or not in the future. But uh, only time will tell. This is a pretty recent development. Um, our next story here, uh, according to a post by the Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF, uh, Patreon is seeking uh, to overturn a long-standing U.S. law which safeguards the privacy of um, anyone on the Internet's video viewing history. So they say that for decades, the Video Privacy Protection Act, or VPPA, has safeguarded, has safeguarded people's viewing habits by generally requiring services that offer videos to the public to get their customers' written consent before disclosing that information to the government or a private party, which seems reasonable. Um, but they say that the VPPA is under attack by Patreon. Um, that service for content creators and viewers is facing a lawsuit in the federal court of Northern California brought by users who allege that the company improperly shared information about the videos that they watched on Patreon with Facebook. Um, so that's definitely an interesting case that we'll have to keep an eye on. Um, but that is, in the U.S. at least, a pretty important privacy law as far as protecting the stuff that you do and watch online. Um, so we will see how that case gets handled. But just an interesting thing that Patreon is behind right now. Um, and then our final privacy-related story for this week, um, then we'll move on to security, is that Google uh, is apparently letting EU users decide how much data sharing they are okay with. Um, this is in response to the Digital Market Act in the EU. Um, but it's worth noting that this policy only applies to data that's being shared between Google's own services. So like um, data like between Google Search and YouTube, for example, or like Google Play and Google uh, Shopping, that kind of thing. Um, it, uh, it has nothing to do with like how much data Google is collecting from these users or whether it gets shared with third parties. So it's kind of a moot. <laughs> it's kind of, it doesn't it won't have a huge impact on the privacy of EU users, but um, there will be some limitations on that kind of data sharing. Um, the Verge says that this new policy allows users to opt out of data sharing across all, some, or none of a select number of Google services, which include YouTube, search ad services, Google Play, Chrome, Google Shopping, and Google Maps. Um, but even between even sharing between these services, they say that the policy isn't watertight and that Google will still share user data when it's necessary to complete a task, like if you're paying for a purchase on Google Shopping, um, in order to comply with the law, stop fraud, or protect against abuse, which all of that kind of gives Google 
a pretty unilateral power to um, say that they need to share data between these services anyways, regardless of your preferences, which is what I expect will happen here. Um, it's a big story that's been shared because um, it just, this, this article just came out yesterday, but I don't think it's going to make a huge difference for Google users in the EU or otherwise. Um, moving on to security news here. Um, the accountant for Framework was hacked. Um, Framework makes those very repairable computers. And that hack exposed the personal data of an undisclosed number of laptop purchasers. So in this report by Bleeping Computer, um, they say that Framework Computer disclosed a data breach, exposing the personal information of an undisclosed number of customers after Keating Consulting Group, its accounting service provider, fell victim to a phishing attack. As part of a subsequent investigation, um, Framework identified all the customers whose information was exposed in the attack and notified them of the incident via email. So I guess if you're a firmware customer, you might want to look out for that, but it's just worth noting that even with um, companies which seem to be considered more trustworthy on the internet, there's so many factors in play when it comes to securing your data and all these third-party providers that they deal with. So keeping an eye on all of this stuff is super important for your security. Um, in other news, um, Ars Technica reports that a customized version of the Mirai botnet malware called NoahBot has been installing crypto mining software on Linux devices. Um, they say that per, for the past year, previously unknown self-replicating malware has been compromising Linux devices around the world and installing crypto mining malware that takes unusual steps to conceal its inner workings. Uh, rather than performing DDoSs, which is what the original Mirai botnet malware was intended to do, this new NoahBot botnet installs cryptocurrency mining software which allows the attackers to uh, of course generate digital coins with the victims computing resources um, so just an interesting uh, new story it's kind of rare to see this kind of thing affect Linux users but it just goes to show that um, none of these operating systems are perfectly secure against all threats and you still have to do everything you can to secure the devices that you use whether that's staying up to date with updates or that kind of thing um, in lighter security news, uh, Tutanota upgraded their encryption from AES-128 to AES-256, um, which is, they say, a step to bring quantum-safe encryption to their products in the future. Uh, so Tuta says that they've switched on AES-256 encryption by default for all new emails sent via Tuta. Um, that's, they say it's a great security improvement and that it's the next step towards them enabling quantum-safe encryption. On the road to achieve quantum security, uh, they are also updating their asymmetric cryptography, which is currently RSA 2048. Um, in a next step, they'll focus on rotating the existing encryption keys. But basically what they're going to do with RSA 2048 in the future is replace it with um, Curve 25519 and Kyber 1024. Um, and the Kyber cipher suites are supposedly quantum safe. Um, which should turn that protocol into a hybrid classical and quantum safe public key protocol, uh, which is a similar approach to what Signal has done with their um, recent improvements to uh, quantum security and what Proton is also planning to do with PGP, although that's still in the draft phase. Um, so all this news is pretty exciting. Um, right now, nothing really is changing. Um, I mean, the change from AES-128 to AES-256 is, is a good step for sure, but AES-128 is already uh, 
generally considered quantum safe by nearly all cryptography experts. So um, right now, this change isn't going to make a huge difference to the security of TUDA emails. But in the future, when they do replace that asymmetric RSA 2048 cryptography, that will be a much bigger difference and a much needed improvement as far as securing all of their uh, emails go. So hopefully they get around to that soon. Um, in more quantum-related news, there's a new attack on quantum cryptography, um, actually the one that we mentioned before. Um, this attack is called Kyber Slash, and it potentially leaks the secret keys of um, projects that use this Kyber security. Um, it's worth noting for sure that not all projects that are using Kyber are vulnerable to key leaks. Um, it's uh, this is a vulnerability in a very specific, like, or a number of specific implementations of Kyber. So you can see uh, this list on the screen if you're watching via video. A lot of the different uh, Kyber implementations for various um, languages and that kind of thing have already been patched or will be patched eventually. Some are still unpatched. Um, but basically, this report by Bleeping Computer says that. Um, multiple implementations of the Kyber key encapsulation mechanism are vulnerable to a set of flaws collectively referred to as Kyber slash, which could allow for the recovery of secret keys. Um, importantly, uh, if we look at providers that are already implementing Kyber in their products, um, Mulvad is one that recently added it, and they say that it doesn't impact its VPN product because they're using unique key because they're using unique key pairs for each new tunnel connection, which makes it impossible to perform a series of timing attacks against the same pair. Um, Bleeping Computer, uh, when they wrote this article, they also reached out to Signal because Signal is, of course, using uh, Kyber quantum encryption as well, um, as we mentioned before, but Signal did not get back to them. So we, I guess, I don't know for sure whether Signal is impacted by this, but it's likely, um, it's likely a non-issue with um, a project like Signal, but we'll keep you updated if something changes. But for other software that has implemented this kind of stuff, it may be vulnerable, and hopefully they get that patch soon. Uh, moving on to privacy community news, um, really brief update on ProtonPass here. The web app is now finally available to everyone, so some people have been trying this out in beta for a while, but you can now um, use any browser to manage your passwords, um, credit cards, that kind of thing, uh, at pass.proton.me, which is um, a super cool step for bringing ProtonPass to more users and being more usable rather than just being a browser extension, that kind of thing. So just a cool update for any ProtonPass users out there. Um, another thing that I saw recently was that the EFF released their new street-level surveillance online portal. Um, so the EFF describes this as a standalone website, which features expanded and updated content on various technologies that law enforcement agencies commonly use to invade Americans' privacies. Uh, this hub that they have here has new and updated pages on stuff like automated license plate readers, biometric surveillance, body-worn cameras, camera networks, cell site simulators, drones, robots, facial recognition, all sorts of stuff. I mean, I, there's a ton of stuff about um, just physical security and this kind of mass surveillance that's done by law enforcement agencies and other um, and other entities that's super interesting to read about. So I would definitely check out their new street-level surveillance hub if you are interested in any of that stuff. 
Um, finally, our last thing, I uh, just want to remind people that Divested Computing Group, um, which makes Divest OS and Mole Browser, among other um, projects in this space, uh, is continuing to fundraise this month. Uh, we mentioned it last week, but I just wanted to say that they're um, almost halfway to their $12,000 goal already, which is super exciting. And um, I'm hoping that they can get the support that they need by the end of February. So if you uh, use Divest OS or Mole Browser or any of these other projects, or if you want to just support a developer who's doing super great work in the privacy and security space on mobile specifically, um, which we really, <laughs> we desperately need um, in this community. Um, definitely uh, contribute whatever you are able if you can, because that would be super helpful for them. Um, that's about it for updates this week. As always, all of these links are available on our blog at blog.privacyguides.org. Um, if you have any questions, you can leave a comment on this blog post um, right at the bottom on our form, or um, you can leave a comment on YouTube as well, but we would, we, we might not see it. Um, so leaving a comment on the form is definitely the way to get a, a better reply from the community, I would say. Um, but that is about it for this episode. Thank you all for watching or listening, and I will talk to you all.